and he was like, how is that toilet brush a clue? And he said, he picks it up and he goes, Ruby Dooby Doo. <laughs> He's like, just because you can sing it, it doesn't make it a clue. Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Do you know why that song is stuck in my head right now? It's because you said, let's make it quick. And in my mind, I was like, look in the mirror first. (laughs) Before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. Uh, People who live in glass houses should not throw stones. I have a surprise for you. We're doing this take one. You guys already know the episode because it's titled. Hopefully you've approved this because you don't know what movie I've picked. Yeah, this is cool. I have absolutely no idea what we are doing. I predict that you will be very happy about this, but there's a very small chance that you will be like, fuck you, we're not doing this. It's spooky, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's maybe the first thing that people think of when they think of a, like a horror movie, but it is the spookiness is abundant. Well, okay, so as long as... It fits within the realm of our Halloween. Uh, I think it will. I think it will. Crop and of episodes. I, I want you to know that I'm totally okay if you do not want to do this. I would understand. And I will find an alternative. We may have to cut so I can think of it. But just know to the listeners out there, if this movie that I'm about to say is not the title of this episode, it is 100% Nick's fault. Okay? So direct all hate mail to him. Are you ready? <laughs> Baby's day out. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Are you ready? Are you ready for the actual? <laughs> it's like, I'm literally going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to show it. I have it up on my phone and I'm going to flip it around so you can see it in the camera. Okay. Okay. Tell me if you're okay with this. Oh God, I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. Ready? Uh-huh. Three, two, one. <gasps> yes. Okay. Okay. Good, 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 good. It's settled. Is that genuine? Do you really do you really totally, want to do it? honestly? Scooby Doo kind of came to my mind. I thought about Scooby Doo because <laughs> you said the spookiness is abundant, and like the word spooky makes me think of Scooby Doo. Yeah. Oh my god, I love so, that movie so much. I do too. I do too. I was thinking we could treat it sort of like we treated like maybe Shrek or Austin Powers, where we kind of cover both. But yeah, like, of course. Of course. Because the second one, I think, is fantastic too. I think the second yeah, the one first is great. one, the first one is god tier, but the second one's still yeah. good. I love it. Yeah. Okay. The, the the first one I watch way more than a twenty five year old should. Well, so this is getting into take three territory, but I remember hearing something that like this was supposed to be an adult kind of like scary slash yeah. R rated. James movie. Gunn wrote this movie. Yeah, and that it kind of got twisted around and like didn't work the way it was supposed to, but it still was a fantastic movie. But I think that like it grew up with us and it's still, yeah, yeah there's a lot to talk great. about. 
It's great. Mm-hmm. People fucking love this movie. And um, it is definitely spooky. They go to an island called Spooky Island. They sure do. <laughs> Are you tricking on me? <laughs> oh my god, it has so many amazing quotes. Uh, Sugar Ray is in this movie. Yes. Fucking, uh, the cast is incredible. Do you remember the first time that you saw this movie? No, because like, when did this movie come out? 2002. 20 yeah. whole years ago. So no, because I was 10. <laughs> I do. Do you want to hear how I... Oh, this you is actually... You were nine. How the hell do I, you remember? This is such a great story. I've probably already told this on the podcast. Probably recently, actually. This is the football game story. Do you remember when my cousin took me to the football game? Oh, yeah. I feel like I might have cut this out of episodes because I feel like it would make your cousin feel bad. But okay, whatever. If you're, if you're I'm not okay sure. with it. I'm not sure he listens, but in in the case that you are, you know who you are. Uh, I obviously love you. I obviously think of that week fondly, but this is just like one of the funniest stories. I I love telling it. It's you, Matt. Okay, sorry. Keep going. (laughs) Basically, I grew up a very artistic child. I was not into sports. I was very much the artistic, quiet, uh, to himself child. Very introverted. So when my cousin in Philadelphia told me that he got me tickets to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, I was like, fuck yes, I'm so excited to go to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And fuck my brothers for this as well, because they were in on it and they were like, dude, they they made this out to be like the fucking Crayola factory. They're like, you can make your own markers and you can like do this and that and you can create sculptures and stuff. They were hyping this shit up and I was like, I cannot fucking wait to go to this art museum. Oh my goodness. I'm sure you were really excited. Like that does, because I know that that sounds amazing. (laughs) Right? I was so excited. I get to Philadelphia. My cousin takes me to this stadium and pulls out this Eagles jersey. And he was like, hey, we're going to go to the Eagles. We're going to, we're going to watch a football game. I was like, oh, okay. So then are we going to the art museum after? Turns out the whole thing was a big surprise to get me to an Eagles game, <laughs> Eagles football game, and not the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is funny because like the PMA is not, it's nothing like Crayola Factory. It's all like old art stuff anyway, not to degrade it. Like I've been there a few times. It's beautiful. But like as a 10 year old, nine year old child, like, I don't know. It was just, it was really kind hearted and sweet. That's just a funny story I love to tell. But basically, I, that is so funny and so <laughs> sad. I can just see you like looking like, like, OK, what is this sport? I don't like, understand oh, what's going on. This is great. Thanks so much. Like, this, you know, obviously I had to be grateful. So <laughs> Matt, if you're going to blame anyone, blame Ryan and Jake for hyping it up for me. But anyway, I also I just want to I do want to point out, though, like you you went to college in Philadelphia, like you have definitely had more than an opportunity to enjoy this museum since then. Oh, and I have I have like we as an art student, we get like free passes and we did get free passes. Uh, so I've been there plenty of times like we've, you know, we've held classes at the PMA. It's it's no big deal. And it's great. It's a great museum. If you are in Philly, that's where the Rocky Steps are. Um, did we go there? Probably, probably. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I remember a dead person museum. Oh, the Muter Museum. Yeah, that's a that blast. Was dope. Oh, I love that one. But anyway, all this story to say, this was the same week. Like I spent like a week or a weekend with him in in his apartment in Philadelphia, and he had found himself a copy, and he gave it to me, and we watched it that evening, 
and I had the disc and I watched it a million times after that when I got home. And it was, it's just something that is so integral to my childhood. This movie is just perfect in every way. And I think that it is the perfect choice to do for Halloween. I totally agree. I can't remember the last time I've watched it. I think it's been a few years, but this is one that I'm not afraid of, like it not holding up because I am for sure. Like I'm certain it will. Oh my God. I have a funny story to tell you. When did the sequel come out? Scooby-Doo 2. Monsters Unleashed. 2004. Okay. So that means I was 12. I am five or six years older than James. So James, my cousin, was six or seven, right? We go see this movie together. Like both of our families, like we're all going to see this. And the part where Velma was like in this room, I think it had something to do with maybe she was like looking for her glasses or something. But Seth Green comes up and is sort of like behind her. Yeah. Do you remember that part? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the movie, it's this like tense moment. Well, James goes, look out behind you. Seven-year-old James. (laughs) Oh, James. Oh, cousins. Oh, cousins. What would we do without cousins? Oh, yeah. We both told stories about our cousins. That was nice. Yeah, this is also another movie that I can quote pretty much beginning to end. And I will when we watch it. Hell yeah. Be ready for that. No, I like it when you do that. I think that's fun. I'm so glad because no one else does. <laughs> Understandably so. I'd be frustrated too, but I think it's impressive. Thank you. Um, I, I just want to point out. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later as well. This movie has like four of the most iconic actors as the leads. I love them so much in other things, right? But it's hard to think of any of these people and not think immediately of scooby-doo like i agree i you know how obsessed i am with scream and for Mm -hmm. me to think of shaggy before i think of stew is a big deal (laughs) right or like for me to think of daphne before i think of buffy buffy i know i know oh my god it's just perfect it's so good yeah it's so i also i love that freddie prince jr and sarah michelle keller are still together and that makes me happy are they still together i'm pretty sure they are yeah i didn't know that that's good yeah they're married it's like they got more money than they'll ever need (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly they could just buy an island and just be happy for the rest of their lives and maybe call it spooky island and put a bunch of kids on it and brainwash them spoilers sorry day two Scooby Doo, y'all. Scooby Doo, do y'all. Scooby Doo, y'all. Scooby Doo, do. I don't know how to respond to that. Well, I will respond to it. We just watched that movie. It's the forty billionth time I've seen it, but it's one of those movies that just doesn't get old. It really doesn't. There were several moments where I w- was a little bit scared that I was like, "Oh no, did we <laughs> did we make a really stupid movie?" There's a lot of silly moments in this movie uh, that I realize now are very silly that I may not have realized back then. But then there are certain parts that just that just make it so enjoyable. Like when they're switching bodies, iconic. When they're going through that haunted house, iconic. The best. The fart contest, iconic. It just works, you know? Absolutely. 
I can't pick a favorite part because I just love it from beginning to end. It's just so <laughs> you you just sit there with a smile on your face the entire time. Mm-hmm. I wrote down the note that the special effects for being 20 years old are not bad. And right? it, this may sound silly, but it's very easy for me to forget that Scooby-Doo is not a real thing. Like, obviously, no. he's not a real dog because he's like talking and jumping around and all that shit. But he's also like not really there. But it, mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to forget that he's not in the scene with them. I completely agree. And I think Matthew Lillard deserves a shout out. Totally. Really for everything he ever does in life <laughs> ever. But just because he was the one who I feel interacted with Scooby the most. Yeah. He made it so believable. Like if you look at him closely at this movie, he never misses a mark. He is like always talking to like he's talking to nothing. Right. But it, it's so believable. Like, you wouldn't think a CGI live-action hybrid from 20 years ago would still work so seamlessly, mm-hmm. and I really just feel like it does. And you're right, it is very much on the actors surrounding him just as much as it is the people that actually brought Scooby the character to life. This makes me want to watch the second one as well, which I will do before take three. Totally. Um, because th- this movie is not perfect by any means uh there's a lot of moments where you can tell that some of the characters interacting with the you know cgi characters that you know there's some glitches here and there i think at one point daphne is like she has a full segment where she's just a clip of her is reversed like they they do it back and forth at one point a couple times really i think it was when like Fred goes into her and the creature comes out and she's like on the couch kind of like guarding her face or something. I think to give the creature more time to like react and have his exploding moment. She is just like, you can see her like reverse. It's weird. You have to like rewatch it, but I mean, it's, it's, I just want to see how far they come or how far they came with the second movie. Cause I feel like, you know, that one feels much more polished, but I mean, yeah, like you said, for, for it being, 20 years old it is incredibly impressive yeah definitely i think the first thing that i wrote down at the very beginning of the movie was like sarah michelle geller sure has played like a lot of iconic roles and then i'm like she's the one that makes them iconic hell yeah oh yeah that kind of clicked in my head right after that she's the reason (laughs) daphne is iconic she's the reason helen is iconic she's the reason buffy is iconic she's the reason Cece is iconic like everything that i've ever seen sarah michelle keller do is just like oh wow like one for the 90s kid history books you know (laughs) yeah These other actors around her are also very talented and they've all done other things and I really enjoy them. But I'm just always looking at Sarah Michelle Gellar. You're, yeah, you're right. I was going to take a moment to be like, yeah, she was like really good, obviously, but I do want to give props to the other character. I think really the only one that kind of falls flat for me is Fred. Like he's just annoying the whole time. Well, that's his character, though. I get that. I can't think of anyone else who would have who I would replace him with. Like, obviously, you know, I love him as that character, but Matthew Lillard and Linda Cardellini just, they also knocked it out of the park. And that was like seeing that I was like, damn, that's a young Linda Cardellini. She was little, uh, back then. But I think like, it's because I've seen Linda Cardellini the most recent. 
like I I've watched Buffy recently, but that was when, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller was much younger, but you know, Linda Carlini has been in her own Netflix show. She's, uh, you know, been in Marvel. So I've seen her as an older adult, whereas I've not really seen the same for the other characters, but it was just kind of weird and jarring to see her so young, but yeah, they just, they were all great. Yeah. She's so good. I when I first saw this movie, I didn't know who Linda Cardellini was. She was the only one that I Same. like didn't recognize. Yeah, and yeah. I fucking adore her. I mean, mm-hmm. watch Dead to Me, y'all. That she's <laughs> perfect in that show. Are you caught up on that show? There's only two seasons, right? I think there's a third out. I could be wrong. You're I'm me. not sure. I don't know. If there is, I gotta go. <laughs> I did enjoy the first season of that show. I love that fucking show. It's so great. Yeah. Another note that I wrote down was, what does hydroclonic mean? I know I gotta look that up for <laughs> take three. Because I, I truly, I've heard that joke, I mean, however many times I've watched this movie, and I have always laughed at it, but never known what it meant, so. It's like, it's a colonic. It's like an enema hydrocolonic a water colonic it's where you they go in and they shoot your ass up with water to like flush you out (laughs) but like no along those lines i feel like there were a lot of things that i picked up this time that i didn't catch when i was younger like all the times they were getting on fred for like who would believe scooby dressed up in a in a you know grandmother's outfit and then it cuts to fred and he's like who's that and then there were several moments in that that I just don't remember picking up as a kid. And, you know, yeah. now I know what hydrocolonic means. And I wanted to ask you a question. How old were you when you got the, that's like my favorite name joke with Mary Jane? <laughs> I certainly not the first hundred times I saw it. It <laughs> right. was definitely like maybe in college or even up to a few years ago, maybe, but it was recent. It was certainly closer to now than it was when I first watched it. Solid joke. So good. Yeah, that it's it's hysterical. And uh, that whole character is just so awesome. And that's Isla Fisher. Yeah. You know who she looks like? I'm going to pull this up and I'm going to link it in the description. I saw her face and she looks exactly like the little boy who played the son in Pet Cemetery, the original one. I'm going to pull him <laughs> up. I'm serious. It's OK. Like... <laughs> no, I, I can see him and I don't. I won't argue. They could be related. Sure. I'm going to put their faces together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was thinking like most people say like, oh, she looks like Amy Adams, but that's when she has red hair. But yeah, totally. I, sure. Do you see it? Or are you just trying to humor me? I will prove it to you. No, I mean, like I can see him. In fact, I'm going to swap their faces and see if you can even tell. You have face swapping technology. I'm a graphic designer. I can Photoshop. Bitch, no, you can't. You're right. That's actually, I really hate Photoshop, but I'll find it. I'll make it. I'll make it work. You can give me a Photoshop. I'll switch their face. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of skills that you have, you need to quit learning French and start learning how to do a claw machine. (laughs) Speaking of that, I have seen this movie dozens of times, right? Mm -hmm. But it was upon this viewing that i realized that shaggy's mastery of the claw machine is what allowed him to snatch that damon Ritus out of oh Scrappy. yeah like i never realized that oh, i was clever. like they set that up earlier like why has yeah. that never occurred to me never occurred to me either thank you for enlightening me oh shit look at us <laughs> <laughs> idiots <laughs> <laughs> This movie has a banging fucking soundtrack. The things yeah, go bump in the night. 
And then the, okay, all right, we're gonna save the world tonight. Oh my God. And then, of course, the Scooby-Doo, y'all, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, y'all. <laughs> I love all of those songs. Oh, mm-hmm. the freaking, I saw this before I saw Labyrinth and yep. the You're you Mommy of the Babe. Love, <laughs> I love that song, too. This movie is yeah. just awesome. Yep. I'm trying to think. Did this come out before or after Rat Race? Oh, I don't know. Because Why do you ask that? Because of Rowan Atkinson. Oh. <laughs> okay, so Rat Race came out in 2001. Scooby-Doo came out in 2002. So it's a year before. Nice. Scooby-Doo. I guess I would have known who he was at that point then, because I'm sure I saw both these movies in theaters. Uh, well, I might have I might have said that, like, I truly don't even remember Take One. So <laughs> I, I don't remember when I first watched this movie. If I said I did, then I have forgotten since Take One. I just listened to Take One. We didn't bring up Mr. Bean at all. No, I guess uh, I mean, like, did, did I tell you where I saw this movie or when I saw this movie? Oh, you said you didn't remember. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, still don't remember. Perfect. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. I um, do not. But did remember. you not? Did you not know Mr. Mr. Bean came out in 1990? Here's the thing: I've never seen Mr. Bean to this day. Really? I know he's Mr. Bean, but for me, he's in Rat Race. He's in this, and he's in Johnny English, and he's in. Um, oh my God, Love Actually, but. I don't know what Mr. Bean is. Mr. Bean is actually fucking hysterical. You should look up some Mr. Bean clips. He does it perfectly. He just knows the role. Rowan Atkinson is is brilliant for the role. Is it that he doesn't talk? He's yeah, he's like mute and he's sort of like alien to everything. Like he just doesn't know how the world works. So it's this mute person going around trying to figure out everything like in public and he's brilliant with physical comedy i I have no doubt that that's amazing but yeah rowan atkinson's awesome in this for sure (laughs) who who doesn't get enough credit is the voodoo guy the guy that's sacrificing the chicken yes i don't know his name what is his he's joanna man what is his name oh i don't think they even i think he's just creepy voodoo man honestly i don't did he ever introduce himself no, I know, but I'm talking about it in real life. Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. Miguel A. Nunez Jr. Nice. Okay, have you seen Juana Man? I have not. I know the basic premise, but I've not seen it. I don't know if it holds up, like, if, it, if it's <laughs> offensive now, but I fucking love that movie. <laughs> but yeah, he's great, and he's really good in this. Like, his scene with Daphne, I said I don't have a favorite scene, but i that's probably my favorite it's- scene. It's a great it's scene. Fucking perfect. There's, there's so many great scenes. <laughs> Purple's a fall color. It's the middle of May. Yes. Um, and like her going back and forth, like you, you yeah. think I would know that, so I, but you're creepy or you're spooky or something like that. I don't know. I just watched the movie and I can't remember what he said. But no, you you got it. You got it. Um, did so? Uh, James Gunn wrote this. Yeah. Do you know if he wrote the second one? Oh, shit, yeah. He totally is credited as a writer on Scooby-Doo and on Scooby-Doo 2. He wrote both of those fuckers. Nice. I'm glad because I know there was some fighting that happened because this movie was not his original vision or something. Like, I know that there was some beef there, but I'm glad that that didn't scare him away from making another one. That's good. I just feel like the likelihood of him being able to make an R-rated Scooby-Doo, I just don't think that that was ever going to happen. Like, I wish that we could have gotten something like that. I think that would be such an interesting 
thing to see now, like to have seen the scenes that got cut or the scenes that never got shot because they got cut from the script. But I don't think this movie would have the following that it did if it was rated R. I might not have been allowed to see it when I was a kid. Now that I'm thinking about it, no, my mom took me to see 8 Mile when I was like 10. But... <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like this yeah. is a this is a really awesome movie that is cool for kids and for adults. So making it an R rated movie, like, I don't know. I yeah, I'm sort of on the fence about that. I, I'm leaning towards keeping it the way it is. But it's really cool because I'm looking at this now and I'll talk about this in take three because I always do. But this person named Raja Gosnell directed both of them, too. So the same writer and director nice. on both of them. Okay, I've always liked this one better, but looking back on it, like the the second one, for some reason, I think when I first saw it did not click as well, but I've grown to appreciate the second one way more now. Yeah. So that one, that movie's grown on me. And whereas this movie I've always loved. I think going back to the discussion about how things might've been cut for this version, like it's a silly movie. There's there's a lot of inconsistencies, actually. Like, a lot of it really doesn't make a lot of sense. What? I, like, in the final act, when they're making the plan to, to dump the protoplasm vat and everything, like, there's just a rope that's just hanging. Like, did they not think that no one was going to see that rope? Uh, I feel like there's some timing stuff that didn't make sense there i don't think at any point in this whole movie did daphne and fred ever hint at being in any kind of relationship or even like admiring each other more than just friends but they're kissing at the end of the movie that like it just it does seem like things were chopped and sort of like reconstructed to make some kind of sense and i'm really curious to know what's out there as far as like what the original version was i really want to look into that and see what we missed out on Velma points out that fred only likes girls like daphne at one point and he's like dorky chicks like you are <laughs> so i feel like i don't know I'm, i understand what you mean there probably was more to it yeah and just knowing what i know about those characters like it wasn't it's not shocking to me that they kissed at the end. It makes sense. And I'm sure in the show there, like the original show, there might've been some assumptions there. I don't know. It just felt kind of tacked on just because it also makes sense now because they're married. That's very true. It's very true. And this brought Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. together. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. It felt a lot like Shrek to me where there are some like hidden adult jokes. Totally. And they, there's even some swear words in this that they just did not shy away from at all. So like that aspect I appreciate. Uh, also, I think it's rude and I don't appreciate that they think that they can just be okay with tossing a dog on the street. Like, it's not the dog's <laughs> fault. It's how you raise the dog. And if you didn't think you could handle a puppy, then um, shouldn't have gotten a puppy. So who's the real villain here? <laughs> <laughs> when they were about to do that, I was like, they just leave him in the desert. And then you see that sign that's like six miles to something. I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess we're supposed to believe that he had to just walk to this next town or something. Speaking of things that I've missed, I never. (laughs) It's when Velma was at the bar talking to her love interest, who is very sexy. And I wish that he had a bigger role and was also in the sequel because 
he was hot. Yeah. When she's like drunk and telling him that story of when they dropped him off, she was like, he's not even a puppy. It was like a, a gland disorder or something <laughs> like that. Like I didn't catch that the first time. It's very um, funny. Yeah. I liked that a lot. It's just golden. These golden moments yeah. for a golden movie. Oh, what about when Sugar Ray comes right up to or lead singer of Sugar Ray, Mark McGrath comes up to <laughs> comes up to Daphne and is clearly singing like the studio version of his song. Him being that close to her and the camera, like he would be so much louder than he is, but it's just like the it's so weird. Like he's clearly not singing. He's clearly just mm-hmm. mouthing the words into this microphone. <laughs> like, I don't care, but I just think that's hysterical. Yeah. Fucking Sugar Ray is in this movie. Yeah. It is. It felt. See, and this is another thing. I don't really know what the intentions were because it almost felt like they were mocking late 90s lingo or like uh, people who identified with that kind of personality. Which are like fans of Sugar Ray. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> honestly yeah, yeah yeah and like i i don't know what they were trying to say but it was this is a weird concept but i'm here for it i i support it 100 percent. i do count this among the best television to movie adaptations of all time like i can't think of oh yeah m- uh, many but i'm sure that very few of them if any come close to this to me fucking rules but yeah this one would certainly be high up on the list i did at some moments think like oh i wonder if they did this today and did sort of like either like an archie style or a sabrina the teenage witch style thing that they have on netflix now and immediately pushed that thought out of my head because i was like i don't want that i i don't want i don't want angsty teenagers taking away this beautiful masterpiece like it just everything about it was perfect i don't want anything to change (laughs) As far as I know, I know that Velma is getting an animated show that's like just her. And I think Mindy Kaling is part of it. Is playing Velma? There's a very good possibility that she is, but I know that she at least has something to do with it in some regard. I'll look into it. But like to I guess that might give you an idea of the angle that they're taking if they have Mindy Kaling doing it, like more of an adult style. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So that would might be interesting but no i totally get it like i i don't need like a modernization of this this is modern enough yeah (laughs) i did also hear something about like in it might even be the project that you're talking about no because i think it was animated did you say it was animated yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah okay i think it revealed that she's like a lesbian or something that she had a female love interest totally yes i feel like that is that is now that sounds perfect that sounds right Another thing to add to the take three list. Perfect. Yes. I had a blast. That was that was what I needed tonight. It's been a long week and it's only Tuesday. And uh, it's a good way to cap off the night. I enjoyed it quite a bit. We both could have watched this separately during work or just sort of had it on in the background because of we've seen it so many times. But I'm actually mm-hmm. glad that we did sit down together and watch this. I mean, virtually, but still. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. am glad that we took the time to re-enjoy this film yeah, it means a lot to me. And every time I watch it, I think I just get reminded of that fact. I agree. And it it does make me, not to end this on a somewhat sour note, but it did, like watching this again, I was like, man, if I wasn't nostalgic for this, I, I'm not sure I would enjoy it as much. But like, it was huge for, I think, a lot of our generation. And I'm just so thankful that uh, it exists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, we can 
we can end on instead of that we can end on like a a cliffhanger because surprise surprise i just saw the rotten tomato score and we have another <gasps> village situation oh no yeah oh no well i guess we'll talk more about it in take three <laughs> take three i wanna thank you for let me be myself again i have a question uh if we dressed up for halloween as shizzy mccreepy and sd mccrawley do you think people would know who we were no really you don't think so? I mean, we're going to talk about it, but <laughs> apparently people don't really like these movies. It's just so weird to me. You told me the same thing that I told you, which is that there was a lot to research here. And we have lots of stuff. There's so much. There is so much. And I'm so excited to talk about all of it. I'm so glad. But you should go first. So at the top of my notes, it's not the numbers. It's just things that I really liked about the second one. <laughs> okay. It's very short because like the second one gets kind of boring for me. But but when they get stuck in those balls in the the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond's house. Yeah. <laughs> the two like door to door evangelists or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. The little Girl Scout says, "Would you want to buy some cookies?" And then they kind of butt in and they're like, "Excuse me, have you heard the good news?" <laughs> and Scooby's like, "Yeah, there's cookies. Yes, there's cookies." <laughs> ah, it makes me so happy. And then they bought some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very good. And then <laughs> my favorite part in the whole movie <laughs> is. <laughs> when they're looking for clues in that place and and he's like those aren't clues Scooby those are just things you want (laughs) and and he was like how is that toilet brush a clue (laughs) and he said he picks it up and goes Ruby Dooby Doo (laughs) he's like just because you can sing it it doesn't make it (laughs) Yeah, gotcha, I, I rewound that so many times. <laughs> oh my god. Ruby dooby doo. <laughs> this is so funny because I also wrote down a list of my favorite quotes from this second movie. And <laughs> I don't think I ever would have rewound that specific part, but I'm glad that you found that very funny. That makes me he happy. Said, Those are just things you want. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Lillard's the best part of both these movies. But okay, sorry, I, you give your things that you liked about the second movie. So this is less of a favorite quote and more something that I missed however many times I've watched this and only picked it up this time. But Velma says something when she's talking to Patrick for the first time. I he, She interrupts him explaining something and she says, I've always found a criminal's inclination to incorrectly use the interrogative pronoun in place of the relative. Delightfully absurd. So she's talking about how like villains kind of use different, you know, lingo, I guess. Uh, and I had, I was like, that. I don't know why she said that. Like, that's such a weird thing. So I looked up what uh, interrogative and relative pronouns are. And as a brief explanation, a relative pronoun is used to connect a clause or phrase to a noun or pronoun, uh, as in like, which cake or which whatever. An interrogative pronoun is a pronoun used in order to ask a question, as in what cake? Like, what is the interrogative pronoun, right? 
So then later, like, I didn't know, I didn't understand why they put that in there. But then Daphne was talking to the reporter, uh, Alicia Silverstone's character. And Alicia Silverstone says, because it's my job to unmask those who pretend to be who they're not. And then Daphne goes, unmask those. You sound like dot, dot, dot. And then it, it like, it, they get cut off because of something that happens. And I think that's what they were referencing. Like, I, I can imagine that like oh, saying so it was a clue that she was the bad guy yeah yeah and she, i i think that's kind of what they were pointing out i have to maybe do some digging to see if like saying those instead of them is like interrogative versus relative i don't know i'll have to ask an english teacher but i just thought that like they, they had to be connected i don't like why else would they bring that yeah, up? i'm sure that they they set that up as like a, a clue that you could maybe have found out like apparently in the first one, there's a bunch of like dog iconography that is around Emil Monteverius. Oh, really? Yeah, and he there's a point where he's like scratching behind his ear. <gasps> he does do that. Yeah, yeah. There's like clues, you know, that I guess we should be able to pick up on too. That's kind of cool. That is really cool. Uh, some yeah. some other quotes that were kind of stupid that I just thought were funny when the monsters in the second one are unleashed to the city. And you have that scene that's like looking over the city and there's guys stuck in traffic. There's like the super stereotypical businessman stuck in his car and like honking the horn because he's in traffic. And he says, move that worthless piece of tin. Unlike some of you, I have a very important meeting and it's like nighttime. It is dark outside. <laughs> like just the fact that they put that in is really silly. Fred saying talking's for wimps is fucking hysterical. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. One that I rewound a lot was when Shaggy turns into like the, the buff dude, just cause his facial expressions and the way that he does that. And the whole like go boom thing was just yeah. so fucking funny. And then this might honestly be one of my favorite quotes in any movie, but when Shaggy is helping Velma fix the disc thing. And he said, this is tied for one of the freakiest days of my life. <laughs> And she says, tied with what? And he says, every other freaking day of my life. Yeah. Genius script writing. Love that so much. It makes me love Matthew Lillard. It makes me love Shaggy. It is just perfect. That is my favorite quote ever. It's so, so good. Awesome. So the first one had, I guess this is like a, a reasonable budget. I mean, okay, so it was $84 million, right? Mm -hmm. And for a movie that, was this anticipated? I could see them giving them that much money. And with $84 million, it wound up grossing $276 million worldwide. Wow. Yeah. The breakdown is 153 domestic, 123 international. So it's a, a decently even split. So that's pretty good. The worldwide box office is technically like 3.3 times the production budget. So they made money on it. It's good. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 84 million to 276 million. We've got a profit. Going to the second movie, though. <laughs> Typically, when the first movie makes good money, the second one will get a larger budget or at least the same budget. Now, I know that the first one wasn't well received, but the second movie's production budget was only $25 million. Holy shit. Less than a third of what they had. That's And then that movie only wound up making $180 million, but still it's 7.2 times the production budget. Huh. So they both made money, and even though the second one made less money, it actually turned more of a profit because 
it only costs $25 million to make. This is interesting for two reasons. One, uh, this is a funny reason because I listened to Take Two to prepare for this, and I said something like, I'm curious to know what the second one looks like because, you know, the animation in the first one was good, but, it, you know, let's yeah. see if the second one's better. It wasn't. It wasn't at no, all. <laughs> it was, it was terrible. I, I mean, the whole thing, like even Scooby. Yeah. Even It's like Scooby is even different. Like yeah. you suddenly definitely can tell. I mean, I was talking very high praise for the first one when it came to Scooby. The, the second one, it's bad. Yeah. Like, it's very obvious. And the second reason was that the director, I read somewhere that the director was like, I am fully on board for a third movie. We just don't have the money for it. And it's I, I assumed that that meant that the second one underperformed. But you're saying that it was successful. They were both successful movies. However, the negative reception of both of them, I think, is what stopped them from being able to secure the money. Gotcha. That makes sense. So they, they were thinking, okay, so fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And the third time, you're not going to fool me at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen franchises that get Rotten Tomatoes but make money chug along all the time. I guess this one just didn't get so lucky. And like, to be honest, as much as I would absolutely love a third one now, <laughs> if all of those people are grown up to the ages they are now, Scooby would be dead. <laughs> so they'd have to have like a taxidermied Scooby. Oh my god! And and Shaggy just like talks for it, <laughs> like a ventriloquist dummy. Oh my god! <laughs> Scooby would be. I mean, it's been yeah twenty years since the first one. <laughs> You're right. And it's not like you can just pick up where it left off because all those people did age. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's just let's just lay it out on the table. Scooby-Doo 1 has a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 39% audience score. <sighs> While audiences liked Scooby-Doo 2 1% more, it has a 40. It only has a 22 on Rotten Tomatoes. That is so bizarre to me. Like people can't even appreciate this as like a fun family film. Like there are fun, silly, stupid family films that have better ratings than this. And I, it just blows my mind. The critics consensus on the first one is though Lillard is uncannily spot on as Shaggy. Scooby-Doo is a tired live action update filled with lame jokes. What the fuck? And the second one, this is ridiculous. I mean, like I definitely don't feel as strongly about the second one as I do the first one. But this is just rude. It says only the very young will get the most out of this silly trifle. I'm like, Ugh. I know somebody sat down with a vendetta against this shit and wrote that. <laughs> what the F? The thing is, though, I feel like if I had seen the second movie independently of the first and didn't have the appreciation of the first one, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed the second one as much. For example, the line of like talkings for wimps or something. There were like so many different, very immature struggles with these characters that like really didn't go anywhere were not resolved properly like it's not a great character development story i feel like it it's a kid's movie well i know well that's what i'm saying is that like even for a kid's movie velma called herself ugly and daphne's response to that was me too me too yeah like and then that was it that was it that was the end of that discussion and I don't know. And the, their solution to that was to put Velma in a 
skin tight suit and it was supposed to be a joke because Daphne was giving her horrible advice she was like and the best thing to do is to never let the other person know that you have a struggle <laughs> at all or something like that like That's to completely I, keep them from ever knowing but even then I feel like was that for us because I can't imagine that a kid would understand that or maybe they just didn't go far enough with that kind of joke I don't know. There's a very good chance that they didn't. <laughs> the second one is just, I remembered it more fondly than I do now, now that I've recently watched it. I agree. And I, I do still enjoy it. I do still, like, I will watch it again. But Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It's stupid. We're not saying these movies are gospel, but, like, I enjoy them. I think they're fun. And the first one I think is actually a good movie, which I'm just so surprised that so many people dislike it. But yeah. actually, you know what? I'm not surprised because there's another movie that Nick loves that people just absolutely fucking hate. <laughs> there's so many of those. Uh, before I get into any uh, things you didn't know about this film, which there's a long list, like there's a lot to talk about with this, or I should say these movies. I have a note up here because I was Googling Linda Cardellini for some reason, and I know that you had asked, or we brought it up in the last take about Dead to Me, and I saw that the season three premiere is November 17th of this year. So I, I appreciate <laughs> that. I, I did promptly look that up nice. uh, after, and I was like, oh, he got me. <laughs> but I am very excited. Like the fact that it's almost here, because mm -hmm. if you've seen the second season, it ends on a like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I watched the first episode of the second season and like, is it worth it? I loved the second season. I love the, I just, it's a great show to me. Okay. But again, Nick has terrible taste. When they revealed that character at the end of the season. I know. Like, I know. I was like, no, let's not do this. Let's not. But if you, if it's a good one, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot. But like if James Mars didn't want it to be on my show, I would come up with a way for him to stay on my show. Yeah, but that way, that I is know, such I a know, cop out. Are you kidding? Silly. Ugh. Anyway, uh, so some things you didn't know about this movie. The cast is incredible and perfect and should not be touched whatsoever. I knew that. Absolutely. But there were some alternatives that were considered. And I think that these are close seconds that I do still think deserve some recognition. So I did want to bring these up. Jim Carrey and Mike Myers were both slated to play Shaggy at one point. Like they were both attached to the project before they had to leave. I saw that. And like, why do they seem so much older than Matthew Lillard? I know. I thought the same thing. I know. <laughs> but we have to remember that this was 20 years ago. So... I truly don't know how old they are compared to Matthew Lillard. I don't know, but like they just, I, I saw that and was like, wow, are you going to make them like in their forties? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, but again, I don't know how old these gentlemen are. I just always seen them like as older. Yeah. Yeah. Austin Powers came out in early two thousands. So it would have been that guy. Like, I, I mean, he's like at least in his forties, I don't know. Maybe not. If like going to the next one, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and is it Isla Fisher? Yeah. Isla, Isla Fisher. They were considered for Daphne. And like Jennifer Aniston is how old now? She's got to be like, is she in her 60s so, now? I think she was like in her 30s when she was playing Rachel, like late 30s, probably when the show ended. The show ended in 2004. So probably like mid to late 50s, I would say. So and I know that Jennifer Maybe. Aniston like doesn't age, obviously, but it like, it, no, yeah, it is possible. And I who knows she how can play Daphne now. Yeah. 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 No, I got you. Like you're making sense. 
Okay, but yeah, just really quick, you brought up Isla Fisher, and I have this little note. I just thought this was funny. I saw someone point out that Mary Jane is blonde, and she's played by a redhead, and Daphne is a redhead played by a blonde. Yep. And I, just, I like that. And especially because like Isla Fisher was trying to play Daphne. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar had to wear a wig as Daphne because she was filming Buffy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I read in an article that Warner Brothers was so devoted to having her play Daphne that they worked filming Scooby-Doo around her Buffy schedule. <laughs> two weeks at one, two weeks at the other, yeah. two weeks at one, two. Yep. Like, she was big. I mean, that was yeah. a big deal to have her. And, like, for her to be able I, – I love that she is a badass in both of these movies. Absolutely. Going back to Buffy, it's an interesting tie-in that in Buffy they she calls her crew the Scooby Gang, which is like, yes, that's so that's so cute. I think it's adorable. I love it. And who is in the Scooby Gang? Seth Green. Yeah. Yeah. So I also want to. God, there's so much stuff to this movie. There's there was a meme that I saw that I wanted to share. It had an image of Seth Green talking to Willow, and then. It had another image of Seth Green talking to Velma and the it had a caption that says something like, watch out, redhead, Seth Green's going to turn you into a lesbian. Because <laughs> <laughs> both ended up being lesbians. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought that was very, very clever. I love that. And I mean, I love Linda Carlini. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. But Allison Hannigan is probably, aside from Courtney Cox, she's probably my favorite actress of all time. Wow. And if Allison Hannigan was Velma in this, and I think she uh, would be a great Velma. Yeah, oh. Sarah Michelle Gellar was Daphne. Like, oh my god, that would be. Cr- oh my god, that'd be crazy. Could you imagine? That'd be really funny. Damn. Maybe that would be like two on the nose, but it's still. I just to fantasize about is fun. She'd be perfect for that. But to continue with the uh, actors considered, unfortunately, she was not considered according to this list. But Alyssa Milano, Carla Gugino, and Christina Ricci were all considered for Velma. So I love those actresses. Oh, I love all of them, actually. I do as well. Fuck uh, yeah. This movie was shot in Australia in a real theme park. And there is, as of at least two years ago when this article was written, a real-life Spooky Island roller coaster to honor the film. We need to go. Bucket list <laughs> item, absolutely. Right. This is no surprise, but Shaggy originally was written to be like this big stoner character. And there are tons of references to that in both movies. He's talking about getting toasted in the mystery mobile. He's like, talk about toasted when he's grilling his eggplant or whatever. And there's smoke coming up. Uh, He says, Mary Jane's my favorite name, which is, you know, very clearly a reference to that. The music, because you see... The mystery machine or whatever, like smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're cooking and inside. Yeah. They're playing the the past. I don't know the words. <laughs> I think but... it's past the duchy on the left hand side, which is definitely like passing yeah. the you know the blunt whatever. But before that became the Stranger Things song, it was the Scooby Doo yeah, song. Yeah, like we were like, oh, we know that song. That's the yeah, it's a Scooby Doo song in Scooby Doo Two. According to an article that I read, and I'll link you know, of course, all of my references in the description. All of the characters did their own stunts. Okay, so that is really cool. Yeah. There is a shot of Sarah Michelle Gellar sliding down the banister where I went frame by frame. And like, <laughs> they do a very good job to completely cover her face. And so I was thinking like, if she was actually doing that, why the fuck wouldn't they have shown her face? Because I read that too. And I'm like, 
I don't I don't believe she did that stunt. <laughs> but like obviously the fighting shit, why not? Yeah, I mean don't why not hire I mean like she's she does the shit on Buffy, so why not? Yep. That's awesome. Sorry. I but yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? The shot when she's sliding down the banister, like her face is just completely covered by her hair. In the second one? Yeah. I don't know specifically, but I, I trust you. I'll I'll have to rewatch it, but fucking weird okay continue sorry <laughs> i feel like you have some information on this as well but uh neil fanning is the actor who plays the voice of scooby-doo and he actually makes a cameo in the second movie i don't know if you knew this but uh when they're at the faux ghost and scooby eats one of the pickled eggs and then doesn't like it and spits it out in some guy's beer yeah the guy that is the owner drinker of that beer is is neil fanning so like scooby spit in his own cup kind of thing Do you- that's funny yeah. oh yeah so it's not germs yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so we talked briefly about the supposed third movie, but according to James Gunn, the plot was going to be, quote, the Mystery Inc. gang are hired by a town in Scotland who complain they're being plagued by monsters, but we discover throughout the film the monsters are actually the victims and Scooby and Shaggy have to come to terms with their own prejudices and narrow belief systems. That is a real quote. <laughs> I don't understand the last sentence. I, I don't know, but I, like I feel like that's a really strange avenue to take, but I'm also not surprised. I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel like the natural trajectory of this story, but uh, I mean, who knows? <laughs> There's a podcast that I actually, I knew about this podcast a while ago and uh, had to like do some digging to, to dig it back up. But in 2018, I think, there's a podcast called Month of Monsters, a Scooby-Doo podcast, where the host watches Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed every day for a month. And I wish that I had remembered this earlier when I found out that we were actually going to do this so I could listen to the whole thing because I would love to hear his thoughts about it. And I think he brings in, I think the reason I didn't finish it, because I had listened to a couple episodes, but... That's something to check out if you're interested at all. Um, I mean, I'm not, but like <laughs> other people, totally. You guys should totally do that. Month of Monsters, sure. a Scooby-Doo podcast. And then one thing that I didn't catch, this is my last point in this section. This is in the first movie. When Shaggy is telling the group how they're all like an ice cream sundae, right? And he says, first, that Fred is the big banana, which I mean... Yeah, in itself. No, totally. Yeah. But then he also starts listing things that don't go well together at all. He says pastrami no. and bubblegum flavored ice cream and Velma's a sweet and sour mustard sauce that goes on top. Now, my whole life, my whole life watching this movie, I assumed, and I think this is the case, that the idea is that they will eat anything that is food. They don't care what it is, how it's prepared. They're just food obsessed. Yeah, and they just they combine random shit yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah, and it's not that outlandish to assume that they'd eat something like that and think it, oh, no. it was the greatest thing ever. But then Velma says, you know what, Shaggy, you really put it in perspective for me, and then promptly quits. And I don't know if I'm just incredibly stupid, but I did not pick up on the fact that she was realizing that Shaggy was right and none of these things fit together. So she was like, you put it in perspective. We don't belong together, so I'm going to... I'm going to leave. Did you realize that? Or am I just like way behind the curve? No, that's amazing. Okay. When you were bringing up that Velma quit, I was like, oh shit, I don't know why. (laughs) That is such a great reason. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's that 
It's the claw machine thing that you brought up earlier about how Shaggy was good at the claw machine and therefore was able oh, yeah. to snatch the the Damon Ritus. Like it's small, tiny. Oh, and in the second one, when they're talking about the interrogative versus relative pronouns, I was like, yeah, this is actually some pretty genius writing. I'm actually like pleasantly surprised. I think there's a lot here. I did not come up with that myself. I did find an article or a video, I think, that explained that. But I my mind was blown when I found out about that. But just something that I think people might find interesting. Yo, I totally do. Way to go. Nice. Okay, so I'm going to talk about some awards that this movie won and got nominated for. So Sarah Michelle Gellar won the Choice Movie Actress in a Comedy at the Teen Choice Awards. Nice. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's no um, way that this was nominated for Oscars. Like, I want to know how many MTV, how many Nickelodeon, Teen oh, yeah. Choice. Like, what what are these awards that you're talking about? Well, here, here we go. <laughs> um... <laughs> On the other side of the spectrum, Freddie French Jr. was nominated for a Razzie oh, for Worst Supporting Actor, which the Razzies are the Golden Raspberries, and they celebrate the worst in film that year. Of the four, I, I don't think I disagree with that. I think Fred's my least favorite. Yeah, no, but... he, like, Fred's not the greatest character. Yeah. <laughs> and then the farts in this film got some awards attention as well. Fuck yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so... It got nominated in a Razzie category called the most flatulent teen targeted movie. So uh, proud. Oh my God. Yeah. It lost that award to Jackass. Oh fuck. But yeah. Oh damn. That makes, Oh God damn it. I thought that was going to end on a happy note, but that, Oh, that sucks. Sorry. Well, here we go. Here's a happy note. And Matthew Lillard won the kids choice award for favorite fart in a movie. That is a kid's choice award that apparently they gave out. Nice. Yeah. Can you imagine having that on your resume or just having that on a shelf somewhere? Yeah. Like I would put that shit in my bathroom, (laughs) like right on the back of the toilet. That's dope. That's fucking incredible. (laughs) I would love to have seen him. I honestly probably did because I used to watch the kid's choice awards, but I'd love to be able to remember him actually going up on stage and accepting such an award. That's got to be online somewhere, right? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he got it before the show. I truly don't know. But like, I feel like they give out stupider awards than that. So <laughs> who knows? That's amazing. But yeah, that's it for the awards. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the director of this movie because I truly had never heard of Raja Gosnell. Okay. Me neither. Never. And... I looked into them and I was like, oh shit. So he actually was an editor on Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Pretty Woman, Rookie of the Year, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Holy shit. Yeah, I was very surprised. And then when he moved to directing, you know what his first movie that he directed was? What? Fucking Home Alone 3, baby. Oh, geez, nice. (laughs) I was like, yes! (laughs) But he also directed Never Been Kissed. And Big Mama's House. Nice. nice. So I'm like, man, you know, I, these movies aren't on the AFI's top 100 or anything, but I enjoy all three They're of those movies. Enjoyable. I movies, certainly yeah. enjoy the movies he's edited. Nice. Yeah. It made me very happy. He's directed some other really shitty movies, but I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> I have a blurb of just some analysis as far as James Gunn's inspiration for this movie, I guess. He basically wanted to explore this group of teens 
with a talking dog and kind of figure out what's going on in between their lives that were not shown in the cartoon on TV as if they had like just gotten off their last episode. He wanted to explore the characters more in between the lines and in between these mysteries that they were solving. The more I thought about this, the more I realized that the characters in the cartoon. So I did. I I went and I watched uh, maybe like two or three actual Scooby-Doo episodes and save for maybe like Shaggy and Scooby. The other three characters are pretty much the same. Like if you were to swap the lines or the voices or shuffle the characters in any way, it would pretty much be the same outcome. Like there's not really anything that's, and this may be different for the newer stuff, but like the original season one cartoons, this is the case. You could argue that again, this is probably not the case for Shaggy and Scooby. I feel like they're very, you know, separate from this group. But all of them are equally smart. They all offer pretty much the same amount of feedback and clues. And really, their only difference is their gender and their appearance. Like, I never saw anything that uh, pointed Velma out as, like, the smart one or Daphne as, like, the pretty one. And it made me, like, I wasn't about to go and watch every single Scooby-Doo production or movie or show that came out. But it really had me curious. Why not? (laughs) No, like, okay, I wanted to. And it made me realize that there was like, this universe is huge. There is so much to talk about. Yeah. It's insane. It's so vast and massive and like not at all anything that I could have prepared for this episode and nothing we could fit into this episode. But honestly, there's like 10 different series. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe more than 10, but like at least 10, like it's crazy. Maybe someday, maybe someday. No. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, all that to say, it made me very curious to know, like, at what point in this franchise did we start getting these character tropes or trademarks for each one of these characters, right? Yeah. It's just like a curiosity I had. It's kind of unrelated to what I have left to say, but it's, you know, it's something to think about. It is interesting because, like, it would make sense that, like, as the shows progress and, you know, they make different versions of that show mm-hmm. it seems like it would honestly be easier to just have them each be archetypes so you know exactly the kind of thing that Velma would say the exact kind of thing that Daphne would say it's right. interesting to know that they didn't start out that way but like I could definitely see writers later on leaning into such a thing because it does seem like again it would just be easier to write for something like that and it made me it made me curious because i don't and i didn't really look into this because again there's just so much out there i don't remember watching scooby-doo before this movie came out i obviously knew about him and mystery inc and everything but i don't remember watching the tv shows or anything and i want to know at what point did this movie come out like was this movie the reason like was this the starting point that they started branching out and and you know really identifying the characters as these trademarks or was it before then? It just made me curious about that. You know, I don't think so. Like that would be my guess that they were established before this movie. I could be wrong. Certainly encouraged because of this movie. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. And I could honestly couldn't tell you what I have and haven't seen. I definitely used to watch the TV show and I really liked it. Yeah. But yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't remember it at all. That's, I mean, that's an interesting thought though if anybody has any idea that would love to talk to us about it that'd be great i just i just think that we're moving towards doing a scooby-doo episode i don't know we're literally doing a scooby-doo episode right now i just mean something outside of these two movies i just think we should just go all out doobie scoo just do it all everything all of it (laughs) yeah i guess so 
unrelated to this whole discussion, um, there's a video I watched that explained how James Gunn was able to capture what we loved about these characters, but he was still able to offer like character arcs and development for each of their characters and roles and trademarks. Velma was able to stand up for herself and demand the respect that she, you know, rightfully deserved. Uh, but she was still kind of like the brainy encyclopedia of the group. And similarly, Daphne was able to kind of break out of her damsel in distress role without going all out like matrix agent and like losing her personality. She still wore purple. She was still a bit of a ditz, but she was like confident about it, which is great. Like I, I loved that. Fred was able to table his ego by the end and kind of, you know, step aside, et cetera, et cetera. And Gunn even added a love interest for Shaggy to test this unbreakable friendship of Shaggy and Scooby, which I thought was actually kind of brilliant. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Cause like, you're right. Like Shaggy is often very much defined by his relationship to only Scooby. Right. That's a really good. Yeah. And I think it fit into the plot seamlessly. It was nothing that I noticed, but I think it was a really genius move. I think he was able to address these sort of shallow archetypes as one video called them and make the characters feel more human, which I really appreciate. He also explained that one of the inspirations of this movie was the film Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Have you seen that? Do you know anything about that? No. He said it was both very funny and very scary, which I think matches this movie very well. And this led him to explore the idea of real monsters and not just men in masks, because I think this was the first instance where there were actual monsters that were not people in a costume, like the possessing monsters. And it makes sense that they would go there. They have the special effects that they can do that with. And yeah, they want to up the ante a little bit more. And what's scarier than a guy in a mask, like an actual monster? Well, and they set it up in the movie so clearly. Like they, I feel like they bring up several times that it's like they're just uh, when when they're trying to calm down Shaggy and Scooby, they're always like, it's just someone in a mask. And I think there's even a gag when Velma gets picked up by one of the monsters and she's pulling on his horns and like nothing's working. And she's yeah. like, uh, holy shit, you're real. So I think he tried to incorporate that to, to really make it more of like a horror or a scary. And I think even they even did a good job in the second one. Like they kind of found a solution to make it work with the... Um, is it randomonium or something or whatever? The, yeah, the concept of the second one where they were turning all of their the costumes, like the costumes into real creatures, was genius. Yeah. Like it, it reminded me of like Halloween Town Two. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I read somewhere that I think like all but four of the costumes that were shown are from the TV show. Oh, really? Like, those are actual people that they that they unmasked in the TV show. Yeah. See, you know what's funny is I fully expected every single one of those costumes to be a reference to one of the episodes, so I didn't even look it up because I just assumed that they would be. Do you know which four were not, or is that like... The Cotton Candy one is actually from... I think I read it that it was from like a book or a comic book or something. That's also Scooby-Doo, though. Yeah. And then... Um, I know the Thousand Volt Ghost is like... It's a reference to a more recent episode, if I'm not mistaken, as well. I know that the Tar Ghost is from the TV show. Mm-hmm. The Black the Luna Ghost is from the TV show. The Black Knight Ghost is from the first episode of the, yeah. the entire show. Yeah. I, I, like, I can't think of exactly the ones that aren't, but the vast majority of them are. I would hope so. I, I feel like that's, you know, people want to watch this for nostalgia or to, you know reference the source material it's a great way to do it i think yeah it's really cool so i think it was like in take two maybe where i i had wondered if this first movie is what brought 
SMG and FPJ together, but it actually wasn't. <laughs> they were already together at that point. They met in 97 on the set of what movie? Oh, God. Um, what movie are they in together um, in 97? Uh, I know what you did last summer. Good job. Yes. They started dating in 2000. In fact, Roger Gosnell actually wanted a real-life couple to play Fred and Daphne. So, like, they each read the script separately, not knowing that the other one was also reading it. And then Freddie Prince Jr. had to be talked into doing it by Sarah Michelle Gellar because he was worried that it actually wouldn't live up to the cartoons. Wow. And it wound up being, like, a really special project for them because they got engaged in April of 2001 while principal photography was still going on because that went from like February to June of that year. So she might have been doing Buffy at the time, but like during that stretch of time, they got engaged, which I thought was really neat. Nice. Yeah, that made me very happy. That is cute. And it's weird because I, I have a lot of trouble distancing Fred's personality and Freddie Prince Jr. Like I, I honestly have seen him in these three movies. It's this two Scooby-Doo ones and I know what you did last summer and... Uh, like, I don't know him, and I, I hope that he's not really, like, an egotistical narcissist like Fred is, but... Oh, no. You should watch a lot more movies from him. <laughs> he's just lovely. Okay. He's adorable. I fucking love Freddie Prince Jr. I trust you. Speaking of Neil Fanning, the voice of Scooby, he was actually on set every day to do the voice of Scooby for his castmates to work off of. Nice. Isn't that amazing? That's I cool. Like, you totally do not have to do that, but he did that. <laughs> And then I actually read that him and Matthew Lillard actually became great friends during the shooting of this movie. And that makes total sense because like – They have to be in the movie, yeah. We talked about their relationship sells both of these movies. They're great in it. Uh, They're amazing. Speaking of Matthew Lillard, he was cast as Shaggy Rogers because of his performance in what movie do you think? Uh, Scream? Nope. You recently watched this movie. Oh, 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 um, is it, is it a horror one? Yeah. Is it 13 Ghosts? Yeah. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah, that would be fucked up if, if they did it for his performance in Scream. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, but honestly, you know what? I mean, I just, Matthew Lillard in general, I feel like he was born to play this role. Absolutely. What is great about this is he does the voice of Shaggy in a ton of direct-to-DVD Scooby movies, every single one since 2010, actually. Seven different video games, and he's in uh, several of the TV show revivals. I love that. Technically, Lillard has now been playing the character of Shaggy in different mediums for 20 years now. I mean, he's still playing him. There are ones where Shaggy is younger, like Scoob. Yeah. He... Couldn't do that because Shaggy is a kid. Like, I, I think that there were a couple other people that have played him over the years, but he's the one that's done it most consistently for 20 years now. Right. So I think, like, that is going to be in his obituary, like oh. Scooby-Doo actor. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. That's what he'll be remembered for in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, there are other things he'll be remembered for because he's done a lot of great stuff. But it made me very happy to to learn that he's so prolific with this character. Definitely. And my last little point, because you took all my other stuff, <laughs> Sorry. is the uh, soundtrack. Because we talked about the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It actually fared pretty well. Uh, so it was on the Billboard charts. It peaked at 24 on the Billboard 200, <laughs> nice. number 49 on the top R&B and hip-hop albums. And it got to number 
four on the top soundtracks. Damn. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> I mean, I definitely got to bring that up because the soundtrack is dope. It is. It is. And they even tried to bring that energy to the second one, I think. I don't think it was as successful, but the first soundtrack is just awesome. It's just the best. I, I totally agree. Uh, we briefly spoke last take about how we almost got a rated R Scooby-Doo, and I just kind of wanted to summarize how that all went down and then lead into some of the scenes that got deleted in this transition. The original intention of this first Scooby-Doo movie was to make a movie that was PG-13. But when it was finished and handed off to the MPAA, they gave it a an R rating. And from there, they had to cut some things down until it eventually earned back its PG-13 rating. But then Gunn said, but by then, a successful test screening skewed the film's target demo to a younger audience. This led to a third cut of the film, removing any offensive material such as language, cleavage, and sexual situations, including a same-sex kiss between Daphne and Velma. So a lot of that was cut. Velma was originally written to be gay in this movie. I know we talked about a production that's coming out this year or some recent year where it's like canon that she is gay, but the original intention was for that to happen in this movie. And there was a scene that was cut in the movie where Velma and Daphne couldn't get their protoplasms to to go back to the original bodies, so they decided to try kissing, and it realigned them. So that got cut unfortunately but like fred and uh daphne's kiss at the end didn't get cut it's because it was gay yeah yep fuck the mpaa i know i remember reading that this was supposed to be like an irreverent take on the source material kind of like uh the brady bunch movie yeah (laughs) yeah and i like i fucking would have loved that as well i mean i love these movies but i think that would have been pretty dope would have been hysterical yeah An article that was published this year actually said that Gunn has discussed releasing an R-rated Scooby-Doo in the past, uh, though it may not be the original cut of the 2002 film. Uh, Back in August, when he was asked about the possibility of making a new installment featuring the same cast members, Gunn shared that he thinks the studio would be open to it if they inquired and got everyone back on board. So far, Matthew Lillard, Freddie Prince Jr. have also expressed their desire to revisit the members of Mystery Incorporated as adults, and while Gunn may be too busy at the moment, he did not oppose the idea. That was a quote from an article that I will also listen in the description. That was posted this year, so... Okay, so that is so cool. Like, I am so excited about that, like, the, the possibility of that happening. Did you hear the news about James Gunn today? No. He is now a co-CEO at DC Studios. Huh. Like, he is the co-head of, uh, like, him and one other guy are running the DC movies now. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, he made Suicide Squad, and he made the, <laughs> That's, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Like, I think he's made some awesome superhero movies. I fucking think that that's awesome. Which Suicide Squad did he make? The second one. Okay. The good one. He made the good one. I did have to, throughout this process of learning James Gunn, I really, I knew his name. I couldn't tell you which projects he was attached to, but looking him up for this movie... I did see some of the projects that he was on and I realized that I'm really only a fan of these two movies at least and like maybe Guardians 1. 
And the fact that he's attaching himself to DC now seems strange to me. I don't know. No. Okay. So when he got fired from Disney, like that little time that he got fired from Disney, he went over and got a deal at Warner Brothers to make the Suicide Squad. And then Disney hired him back and he was like, okay, I'll finish out Guardians 3 and do the little holiday special. And I forgot about then that. Now he is done with Marvel. Like after Guardians 3 comes out, he's done. And he's now like in charge over at DC, which I think is fucking awesome. Good for him. I mean, that's that's uh, quite a title. I just bring that up because like he probably is too busy, but he does have clout over there, like some pretty big clout. So if he wanted to do something like that, he could get it done. He's in a better position now to get it done than I feel like he ever has been. It's a good point. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was his only motivation for wanting to take that job? He's like, I want to do Scooby-Doo, so give me this position. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so it's like like he doesn't have any power over the Hanna-Barbera projects. Well, but no, like, but still. But like, yeah, he, he's a higher up at Warner Brothers now, and so that's pretty cool. That is wild. And that was today that was announced? Today. Wow. I saw that and was like, holy crap. Because they've been like Warner Brothers – has been trying to figure out what to do with DC for a while because Walter Hamada, who was in charge of it, like during this last little bit of movies, left. And there was a big scandal. I'm not going to get into it, but <laughs> it was just a, a lot of shit with him. He left and they were like, well, who the hell is going to run DC? Who's steering this ship? Right on. Very interesting. Just a little tidbit about James Gunn that happened today. I'm glad we didn't record like yesterday or something. That, you know, worked out perfectly. Yeah. Last thing here is I did want to go over some of the deleted scenes. The kissing scene was not included in this. Shocker. It is on YouTube, uh, it, like a compilation of the deleted scenes of both this and the second one. I'll link in the description, but I just kind of want to summarize some of the bigger ones. They originally had an animated beginning for the like opening credits. And I watched it. It reminded me a lot of the Rat Race intro. You know how they have those little, like, the newspaper clipping characters in yeah. Rat Race, in the beginning of Rat Race? And they're kind of, like, running around and doing slapstick stuff. Uh -huh. It was very similar to that. It was in the same animation and style as the old cartoons, but I thought it was really kind of cute. And it faded right into them at the, what was it, Wow Toys or something, the factory. It's it's worth watching. It's, it's pretty cute. Cool. When they all converge at the airport, you know, and... Uh, Velma meets Fred and then they all realize that they're all going to the same place. Yeah. They all kind of talk about what they were doing in the meantime between quitting and now. And each one of them had their own flashback when they were describing what they were doing. So Fred talks about his book being promoted and it flashes to him talking about his book in a convention, like on a panel where like three teenage boys are watching him. Like it's, it's not even like a full audience. It's just three little annoying kids who are like, it's completely empty. Oh, wow. Um, it flashes to Velma who like, she said she was working at NASA, but her flashback, she's in a support group. She's like in a circle in like a therapy circle surrounded by walls that are covered in Rorschach tests talking about her problems and then all the men are like kind of fetishizing her and talking only about Daphne and how hot she was like that was kind of crazy wow uh and then yeah <laughs> and it cuts to Daphne and she's talking about how she's a black belt now it flashes to her you know training for martial arts and she's failing miserably and gets stuck in a tree somehow and it's just kind of crazy and it like humbles all of them like I can understand why it took they took it out 
because it really it's not very glamorous for any of them. But it, it was interesting to watch. It's it was just kind of it was fun to see. That recontextualizes their characters completely. It does. Yeah, they all seemed at the top of their game when they were coming back. You know what I mean? And that makes you kind of feel different about it. Yeah, I don't know if the intention was to be like, oh, Mystery Inc. is where they belong. Like everything else that they're trying is just not working and they need to be together. I don't know. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's not bad. I think they cut it because it was a little bit jarring. Like it kind of, you know, took you out of the scene too many times. But yeah, um, it's worth watching. When Velma's in the bar at Spooky Island, there is a full ballad where she gets drunk. Uh, drunk, I say in quotes, and I'll say why in a bit. The guy is playing the piano, and she starts like standing on the piano and starts singing, You're Just Too Good to Be True. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, the camera cuts to one staircase that Daphne is on top of and one staircase that Fred is on top of. And Velma's looking at both, and she's kind of singing to both. It's not really clear who she's singing to but both Daphne and Fred are like descending the stairs as Velma is like serenading them both and the camera's cutting to both of them to like be intentionally unclear as to who Velma is actually singing to it's wild and it's so fun and hearing Linda Carlini sing like this and just kind of go all out as Velma is just it was such a treat and then it cuts to, I don't even remember his name, uh, Rowan Atkinson's character. Emil Monteverius. Mr. Monteverius. He was saying something like, you know those drinks are non-alcoholic, right? So it was just like this really kind of funny moment. <laughs> and then this last scene that I'll bring up, it's not the last one in the video, but it's the one that I did want to talk about. There is a scene that literally shows the protoplasm extraction. It's got Daphne like tied up, almost like crucified to this machine and the claw comes in snatches her soul from her chest oh my god puts it in the vat and then one of the monsters like climbs up from out of the ground and just possesses her and then she just walks off and then that scene was right before shaggy comes in and discovers the vat and then lets all of them free it was cut because it was considered really horrific like it really was kind of scary and didn't really seem like it fit with the movie but again all of these were super fun to watch i will link it in the description you really should watch it if you're a fan of this movie because it does it's it's kind of wild they're they're really kind of crazy and i'll send the link to you too because you should you should watch it after this i really want you to i will do (laughs) what a big and fantastic episode that was holy shit yes this was so much fun i hope that you guys enjoyed our spooky episode this is our last episode before Halloween, and hopefully it comes out before Halloween. <laughs> I picked a good one, right? You did pick a good one. Way to go. Way to go. I hope you enjoyed all our spooky content this Halloween season, and we hope that you guys have a very awesome Halloween. Send us pictures of your costumes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. I want to see. I want to see people dressed up as Shizzy uh, McCreepy and SD McCrawley. That's what I want. Someone do it. Someone make it happen, please. We could do that. We're having difficulties with our (laughs) costumes right now. We may have to resort to that. I can't even say those names again, but yeah, yeah, that might be us. Who knows? (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to episode 59 of Take Three, a movie podcast. We had such a blast. I hope that you enjoyed it. I also hope that you will enjoy many more of our episodes because if you go to take3amp.com, you can check out all of them or just check us out wherever you get your podcasts.
Also, if you have an Instagram, so do we. You should totally follow us. Uh, we're at Take3AMP. Like I've said a million times, it's the number three. And uh, yeah, I just hope you guys have a wonderful, safe, blessed Halloween.